Some of us try and play the piano. It can be a hobby. It can be meditation even. But there are some people who can really play, who can make their fingers do amazing things with a few dozen black and white notes. To begin, here's two, Billy Brown and Peter O'Brien. We're going to eavesdrop into their world to find out what it's like to be the piano player, to have a passion for the piano. mother played the piano and my father played the violin but there was always a piano in the house since I was actually since before I was born it was a Beckstein boudoir piano lovely piano actually and um, so I probably started fiddling around it as soon as I could kind of walk or crawl you know I, uh, I'll tell you what we were talking about the loneliness of the of, of the long distance restaurant piano player mm. yeah. I was halfway through I think it may have been now my funny Valentine or some equally gorgeous piece of music and there was a hum of conversation when I started to play the piece and near the end when I was getting flamboyant I sort of when I'd lost the run of myself I noticed the complete silence in the restaurant and people were looking up and I thought goodness I've cracked them I've actually got them so I finished the piece you know uh, I'd go to this pit. turned around, who's standing behind me? Phil Calder had been standing. Oh. <laughs> Calder had been standing there for the past five minutes, sceptically oh. eyeing all this. Brilliant. <laughs> so, uh, as a tribute to him. Well, you see, Peter and Billy have been at the piano for a good few years now. So what about the younger types? Ruth McGinley is one of them. 
She's 17 from Derry and is the BBC Young Musician of the Year. Here she is demonstrating some Rachmaninoff. goes into more singing and tally bits. So what's the difference between playing that well and not playing it well? I mean, w- I mean, would you say some days you're sounding when you're sounding good at playing that? What's how does it? Is, is it? In, it's in the touch, is it? Yeah. Um. Well, in say the first bit, you need um very clear, very much clarity. And so you, if your fingers aren't really listened up and working properly, it, it could sound just splodge, yeah. you know. So it needs to be very clear, which takes a lot of practicing um, very slowly at the passage even though in the end up it will be very very fast but really just taking each finger separately like that and working it from very high and pulling position so your fingers are well up on the well well up from the movement and um, then whenever it comes to the cantabile bit like that you have to take the the tune at the top which is something very hard with the piano because once you hit the note the sound dies. Yes. So really, to sing the phrase, it's very hard. So you have to really—it's mental as well as physical in um, cantabile bits like that because you really have to think of the note moving into the next note, f- so that the phrase continues on. But which is—it's easier to do on um, a stringed instrument or a wind instrument because the note is actually continuing on, the sounds actually continuing. On the subject of technique, and on a completely different note. One of the questions that has plagued many is the person who has attempted the piano is, how does or how did Jerry Lee Lewis do it? Well, who better to ask, as he sits at a Steinway, than John Kyo? I suspect it was probably, it fell, it fell easily for him. There was a little bit of country and there was this boogie thing. Um, because he liked these boogie left hands that he used to hear yeah. in these, these sort of gin houses. He used to literally cross the track and go to the gin houses to see them. But like... If you take a song like the Hank Williams song, You Win Again, um, which most country singers would do, it's very straight, and you'd have a sort of a, you know, a sort of a sweetie thing, but he... The news is out All over town That you've been seen Out running round I know that I I just can't go You win again And then there's a bit of country um, 
but his most peculiar one was, uh, I think it's a great example of, of people say, you know, how does Jerry Lee Lewis play? I think the great example of Jerry Lee Lewis is a whole lot of shaking going on, which is most peculiar. Um, he plays a, a basically, which is an old, the old boogie riff, but he blocks it by playing the thumb and the little finger together and then slides up and sort of gets it and puts a sustain on it and you get this most peculiar rumble and he just plays chops with his right hand so you get a Come on over baby Oh a lot of shaking going on It's out there coming over baby Baby you can't go wrong We ain't faking We got a whole lot of shaking going on Instead of coming over, baby, now we got taken in the barn. And he does the most extraordinary sort of things. And, and he uses peculiar, his, his, his own fingering is totally of his own making. It looks impossible. And he sort of puts two, f- jams two fingers together like this. And, and he, play, he plays those ones, like, you know, the, the, the second finger mm. and the, the, the third finger. Um, and it's most peculiar because most people would do that with their thumb and little finger or something. He's he's quite uh, totally untutored mm. manner of playing, and highly influenced by Boogie. And yeah. I've I've seen him playing live twice, but the first time just you know in the last year, year and a half, and even songs that he would have done maybe differently on his records. He nearly always starts all his concert stuff with. And he starts everything slow, just nightmare for drummers. He starts. Born in the country, raised on rock and roll. Hack with a music, dive and die my soul. And off he goes. Shake it, shake it, shake it. That's what he says. Did you have a tune with him? I, I did. I mean, I played with him on the lyrics board. Um, and it's not obviously the ideal setting to have a jam with him. But I subsequently met him and discovered that um, uh, the thing to do is not to sit down at a piano with him. Uh, I don't think he's too fond of other piano players. He loves guitar players and sax players. But he's not too keen. But because of the circumstances of the lyrics board, he was sitting next to me on a bench seat. And just at the very end, an audience member got up to sing. I can't remember what the song was, but it was a fairly straightforward song. Like, I never felt more like singing the blues. And I was playing, playing down here. Like, I never felt more like singing the blues. Something like that, you see. And he was saying, hey, that's when he was whispering in my ear. See, so I just moved up to here. More like singing. I said, come on. And he just starts. He starts <laughs> rumbling with the left hand. And the next thing, he sort of edges in and I edge further up. And then suddenly he's... Away and he was marvelous, and, and then he just three notes left and I, yeah, oh, well, I didn't mind. I mean, I was thrilled just to, to get that close to watch just exactly what he was doing. But what about the other end of the world of the piano? Let's look at it from the point of view of the piano tuner. Fergus Woods is a third generation piano tuner, like most people in the trade, he doesn't play himself maybe just get in the way of the job. But he's seen more of the instrument itself than many's the famous star. 
Here he is working with an old banger of a piano, probably more typical as an instrument than what we've been hearing up to now. Like the end product is always nice, like when you tune the piano and the person tries it over and they hear the difference and they're very pleased. Like that's that's sort of satisfaction enough for me, like, you know. The biggest problem would be most times is uh, the tuning pins or the rest pins would be soft and that would make it nearly untunable, like, you know, it wouldn't stay in tune, you know. Yeah. But mechanically the action in that, which is the mechanical part of the piano, can all, most times be reconditioned and put right. But this is the big problem if the rest plank is gone or the tuning pins are slipping. Like, you know? So this is the essence of it, this is the basic... That's the basic, yeah, the, the, pin, the pin block or rest plank as it's called, yeah. you know. And that's the, the mainstay, because if, if they're loose, the piano just won't stay in tune, you know? So this piano has seen better days, but it's... It's, it's seen better days. It's, a very, it's in good condition, reasonably good condition, but it's just, um, it's, it's very old. The piano was probably 80-odd 80, 80 years old, you know? Mm-hmm. But as I say, mechanically, it's, it's a wee bit noisy, but mechanically it's, it's in reasonably good condition, you know? Yeah, you can get a noise on the, on you the can, keys. Yes. The y- yeah, you can hear the, the, the noises behind the, the, the actual notes, you know? That's due to all the felts being slightly worn, etc. You know. So that's. Um, You've seen worse. I've seen worse, yeah. I've seen better. And I've seen a lot better. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, lot better. But whoever. But I mean, the thing about the the bass notes of this are not great. Than they're not great, Julian. Not... But they're not too. There's a bit of life left in them, you know. Up around there, it's nice, isn't it? Yeah, nice and crisp. Yeah, nice treble. A nice treble. It's not too bad. Not too bad. We haven't yeah. done down there yet, so it sounds a bit. Wild. And when you do the, you know, when you do the D minor chord up and down. Yes. Like yeah. That, it's that's exactly the as I remember saying. I think that's exactly what the two guys in ABBA, that's what the start of one of their big hits. Do, do that, that again. That, this one here? No. No, yeah. no, the D minor. Oh, yeah. That one? Yeah. Yeah, do it. If you do it, back it down. Leaving ABBA and back with our two duelling pianists, Peter O'Brien and Billy Brown, the subject has turned to the Beatles. I do a kind of a version of Lady Madonna. I was going to say that, you would do that well, That'd be your gig. It's kind of like a boogie. You could do this in F.
Polly thought of some good ones, didn't he? Little stinker, he writes some great tunes, you know. But I still think they shot the wrong man in that band. (laughs) Many of us dream about playing the piano, but they'll tell you it's about practice, practice and more practice. Ruth McGinley knows all about this. Whenever you get up in the morning, whatever, when you go to the piano, your fingers are normally very tightened up. So really you have to start by warming up and listening your fingers, normally by just doing maybe some five finger exercises, just very slowly loosening up your muscles just each one separately working each finger so that the muscles in your hand know what's going to be coming up for the next few right. hours yeah and just like that I mean would you would, would that would you find that frustrating anytime like that yeah well it's not very exciting sitting <laughs> playing five notes on it singly but really it has to be done because really if you go in and you start practicing say whatever pieces list or Chopin you could easily hurt yourself yeah. By not warming up your muscles properly. And how would you work on from that then? Say like five, three or four minutes later, what, do you, what would you be doing? You could start doing some scales or something. Yeah. Um, maybe chordal practice and yeah. things like that. How would you do chordal practice? Um, just really playing lots of different chords and um, lifting your fingers up very high so that you're using all the muscles in your hands. Right. Yeah. So it's it's a hard time as well. It's one of the things about a pain is that it's a lonely life that you have to go into a room and lock yourself away and practice for hours you know how long would you do how long is the what's the longest you've ever been in a room? oh a long time <laughs> um well before competitions and concerts and things like that um there's days whenever i've just literally got out of bed gone straight to the piano had a few breaks had a few half an hour breaks and gone back to bed again later on yeah yeah how many days would you do that for um it depends i don't know um the bbc competition earlier on this year really i did it for Months upon end. Did you? Yeah, yeah. But you won. I won in the end. Of <laughs> yeah. Then there's the other route to a different way of mastering the instrument. Forget the theory, just play. I find looking at these bunches of grapes anyway, it's sort of almost like a dyslexic thing. I find it difficult to, 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 to read anyway in bunches. But I never learned the skill to read. And therefore, I can't play a melody because you need to be able to read to play, you know, nice melodies and chords and you can buy sheet music. So again, it all relates back to sort of doing the, you know... these little sort of frilly bits are about almost as much as I'll do with my right hand. So you never knuckle down to the scales? Never knuckle down to the scales. was thrown out of the college of music because I had a very quick ear. Um, there's a limit to it. There's a certain point where I can't hear very complex chords. But the simple stuff for exams, what I used to do is the teacher would play. You had a book of six pieces and you could take three of any of these six and they'd play them for you and say what do you think and I'd say play it again play it again and you know constantly playing and trying I'd learn it off by heart and one day she stopped me the teacher and said where are you in the music and I said I don't know I was milling away to tune she said I don't know she sort of called my mother in she said look he's he's wasting your money and my time take him away so that was the end of my I, I was eight or seven or eight or something at the time so that was it. <laughs> and then I, I, then I tried to get smart and I tried to get into people like Ray Charles. And I oh, found yeah. him very hard. But I, I, I was able to learn some of them. But again, you see, I got caught into his great... Mm-hmm. 
great riffs. Especially that, I love that bit. Peter O'Brien <laughs> and Billy Brown are exchanging yarns on the subject of piano pests. The people who ask you to play tunes that you don't want to play. Um, one of the ones that you get most frequently asked for, I think, is probably New York, New York. <laughs> oh, I Memories. Yeah, but they're good because you can, you, can, you can insist that the people, the requestors, sing them. You can force them, actually, and then they oh, might okay. go away. Sadly, sometimes they do not. No, they no. do not always go away. And another one that's always asked, but it is actually a nice tune, is Summertime. Aye, that's Every right. girl in existence seems to want to sing Summertime. It's Every a, single woman, the minute she gets a drink, that's the first thing. Yeah. Up, you know. Up, and they generally remember off with the, the clothes on Summertime. But summertime and the living is easy. I forget how it goes at the start, yeah. actually. But there's a lovely start on the original soundtrack, mm. which throws them immediately, and they don't yes, like yeah, they do Normally it sends them... Yeah. With her tail between their legs, back to their seats. I wish what? I could think of it. What key do you generally do it in? Eh? Sure. I think it's in G minor and written anyway. That's it, I remember now. There's another thing you can learn about piano players, that is, that just because you can play one type of music doesn't mean you can play another type, as John Keogh will tell you. I like an awful lot of music, and there's an awful lot of music that I can't play. I dearly love to be able to play jazz. Mm. I can't play it. So I listen a lot, and occasionally I'll find little, little bits of it, you know, mm. that, that, that I can manage. So I entertain myself by trying things out and maybe stretching myself a bit to see if I can manage it. But generally speaking, I don't. But I, I just love to sit down and play. When you say you can't play jazz, why can't you? Well, I mean, it's a peculiar technique. Again, because of my year, I learned. I'll give you an idea. Here's a song, an introduction. Somebody. Now you can hear that that's an awful lot different to what I was doing earlier on. And it's a lot of complex. There's a basic thing in jazz. I drive everything from the root note. If I'm playing a song in G, I'll drive it there from G. And it might be. It might be. Or it might be the. It might be a Jerry Lee Lewis thing, or it might be. Um, whatever, Chuck Berry thing. I drive everything from the root note. Generally speaking in jazz, jazz, the, the chord 
is constructed from above the chord is constructed from above the root note so um, you know instead of playing a G like that a jazz player would play sort of like a and they're playing so it's a sort of a thinking process where you're thinking in a top end of the chord rather than the note the, the, the root note because I you know when you play pop music you play with the bass player and you play through the root notes and just constantly you know 50 years are nearly you're 50 years and jazz and, and you're t- yes and, and jazz players are thinking like you know that that's there's, there's a song in B flat there's B flat for you now the introduction chord is now I would have to spend an awful lot of time clinically going chord by chord and then blocking out my natural instinct to play the root note. Mm. And uh, then the phone rings. <laughs> and then, what? Oh, a list I don't like playing. I have a list. I, but it, it varies. It varies with the feeling, you know. Yeah. Well, you forget about them until you're asked. You see. No, I don't. At Christmas time, I, I think about them a lot because mm. I know I'm going to be pestered with these dreadful songs. Yeah. So I have a... I have a big bowl on top of the piano. I know it's not the done thing in this country to mm. accept tips, mm. but I put a charity thing up yeah. and a bowl and a list. And if it got my way, I would have a card on every table with this scale of charges mm. in which it would say, if you want to sing, it's a fiver. If you don't want to sing, it's a tenor, etc. So mm. I write down the whole yeah. thing until we come to the songs I don't like. Danny Boy, 50 quid. Mm. Any Christopher song, 10,000 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly... Patricia the stripper, <laughs> money, money wouldn't <laughs> never induce anybody to try and play that, and that sort of thing. And it goes down. It's actually happened on on one occasion. A waiter comes and says, "Guy on table six says, play Danny Boy <laughs> And then uh, back every five years, persists. These people persist, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Eventually, the man himself starts to growl up, "Play Danny Boy." Mm. Tell the piano player to play Danny Boy. Mm. Eventually, a face appears over the top of the upright semi-drunken, leers down at me and says, are you going to play Danny Boy? It never occurred to me until he looked at the... He had a lapel badge, and I was trying not to look at his face so I wouldn't have to meet his gaze, you know. And I see this badge that says, New York Police Department Drug Enforcement Agency. Him, um, he left a fifty-pound note <laughs> in in the bowl, and this I still have his idea. badge. I think I may well start this policy myself. This <coughs> excellent. It used to be like that button in the states. Probably still is. For yeah. all I know, all you did was play the piano and have a big hat. Yeah. But the reason why people kind of do come along to you uh, uh, when you're playing one of these restaurant gigs and says, "I'm having a party on Saturday week," you know, would you like to come along? There'll be plenty of food and drink. <laughs> you know, but actually, that is no <laughs> kind of uh, bait at all whatsoever. I mean, it's no almost tempting to avoid it, you know. <laughs> and yeah. I don't myself do yeah. things for money, but I certainly <laughs> don't do it for food and drink either, you know. <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> oh. It's the trials of a long-distance piano player. They can happen. But our place, at least in the places that I play, I've noticed it's very subjective in actual fact, you know, because many of the I'm sitting there and I'm sitting here playing a really bad form and the piano sounds dreadful and it's mm. uphill all the way. Something's happened to pedals. I've brought the wrong pair of shoes as well and everything else. Maybe the car was overheating on the way in and I looked down and there's these dreadful men with their ugly old hatchets and wives and their awful table manners. 
they don't know what they want, these people, you know, and I can looking at the whites, oh, Jesus, another 45 years to go. Yeah. <laughs> and then another night, everything's great, and you're playing stuff, the hair's standing up in the back of your neck, you're playing oh, yeah, stuff, and then you the enjoy it. Yeah. beauty, yeah. Yeah. and the people are looking around the pillars, mm. nodding uh, their encouragement, mm. and all of a sudden, of course, <laughs> it's the same people that were there two or three Fridays ago, <laughs> they've come back. You know? yeah, yeah. It's funny, you never can tell, really. So what are you doing wrong? Yeah. I, when I was down in Doolin there recently, I came across this book, uh, I mean, of Irish triads, which are kind of sayings that everything is divided in three. three. And they had this um, description of a harpist, but I think it applies in general to music. And um, the description was that the three functions, really, are the three ways you would recognise a harpist was that he would have a tune to make you cry, a tune to make you laugh, and a tune to send you to sleep. But it's a nice way of actually putting, because that is what music does. And there's very often, often an overlap in the kind of feeling that you get from a piece of music, like if you listen to one of the later Mozart pieces, like some of his piano concertos, there are some bits that are sad, but there are other bits that are happy and, you know, very lively. And um, I mean, that's beautiful, pure music. But I mean, sometimes when the bit is happy, you suddenly feel sad because you realise that a genius is so rare. I mean, there are so few geniuses in any sphere over the centuries. Like if you looked at, say, the 17th, uh, 18th century, uh, Mozart, Haydn, you know, you got two or three musicians mm. that are geniuses in a hundred years. And that's actually a very small number when you consider the number of people who have composed music and written music and play music. So these are great musicians. I think a great musician actually is only really recognised like maybe 20 or 30 years after they're really dead. Because then you see that the permanence of what they've done will live on no matter what modern kind of things come in or what changes come in in music they, people will recognise particularly musicians I think musicians keep the flag of previous musicians more alive than anyone else you know and one of those people that Peter O'Brien is speaking about is also one of his heroes Fats Waller Peter plays Fats's handful of keys Thank you. 
Mighty, isn't it, Mighty? That was one of the first ones I ever heard. I heard that in France that time I was about 17. So something like that that got me, actually, I think, into the playing other than the classical stuff. I missed all that. I missed the half of that, too. <laughs> <laughs> so did I. It's good for this. By total contrast, Billy, though, you could do a little country number for us, couldn't you? Uh, I'd rather not, actually. It, you really can't play country songs. It's better if you can get somebody to sing them. What about Rachmaninoff? There's, there's one thing I do play. Rachmaninoff? <laughs> no, well, I'd rather play... country writer. I'd rather play country than Rachmaninoff. <laughs> Sergey. If, if only because the country lasts longer. <laughs> you get a longer one <laughs> as usual. So why do you put it out? The only country song I'm allowed to play in the restaurant that people still cry over. There's two. There, there's there's Last Date. Do you remember it? Floyd Kramer did it, and it's the simplest oh, thing in the world. But it can be done quite yeah. quite nicely. I'm not saying that I might be able to do it as, as nicely as he did, but but it's a lovely tune, if I can think of it. <laughs> Tears from them yeah, for that. Beautiful. Piano would put me in good, good form of if if I was I'd play anything if if I was in. I don't really have a favorite tune. I mean, at the end of the day, I suppose my favorite tune would probably be the one that I, a tune that I would always like to have played well and can't. You know, it, there's always something else there. Um, I'm fairly sloppy and sentimental. I mean, I love people like Nat King Cole. Uh, he's, he is, in fact, my favourite singer of, of all the male singers. And um, I listen endlessly to his songs. And, of course, he's a marvellous piano player. He was a jazz piano player. So I like those sort of songs. And I like playing slow songs at home myself, you know. I knew someday I'd find you Somewhere along the way And I think I probably would have I think I would probably become a better piano player if I had the opportunity to play those sort of songs. I don't know, I love some of the more simple Chopin pieces, uh, Sibelius and whatever. Mm. Things like the Chopin Nocturne, which everybody knows. Oh, yeah. it's, 
the E flat notching. It's quite easy to play, but it's just so beautiful. It's a simple, simple chin, which really um, most audiences like. Maybe a lot of people that think that classical music is so heavy and whatever, but then when they hear pieces like the Chopin Nocturne, they can get into it. It's about moods, really. And whatever the mood, there's a magic about what some people can do with an instrument like the piano. So back to our two pianos for an upbeat finish, a 12-bar boogie.
Thank you, Mr. Bösendorfer. Thank you, Mr. Steinway. And sons. Does yours have a son? Can we take them home? 